Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting next to the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, it was a tough night Thursday night at Lambeau Field for the Green Bay Packers. The first loss of the 2019 season, it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles by a final score of 34-27. to And it's not just the loss, it's not just the final score, but it's the chances you had. And the Packers had their opportunities, two goal-to-go situations in the fourth quarter. They come up empty on both of them, and that's uh, – that's the NFL for you sometimes. Yeah, especially on Thursday Night Football. I remember <laughs> I was talking to you about just the randomness of these games. Right. Uh, and credit where credit is due. I mean, I think Doug Peterson called a heck of a football game. Uh, Carson Wentz showed exactly the type of franchise quarterback he is. No question. For Philadelphia's offense. And, you know, Jordan Howard was able to come up and sort of break out a little bit in this game. All that being said, the Packers still had a chance to win it late. Uh, the defense, you know, there were issues there at times early on. It was working with short fields after a couple of special teams breakdowns. And then later on, uh, the run game sort of wearing them down. But they did get the stop when they needed to get it. And unfortunately for the Packers offense, two drives stalling deep inside Philadelphia's red zone. And, you know, if you can't, as Matt LaFleur said, if, if you don't put points on the board in the, the red area, you either have to settle for field goals and or, you know, missed touchdowns that um, that's ultimately going to come back to haunt you. Yeah, the difference in the game, quite frankly, was uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, four for four in the red zone, five for five, I guess, if you count the touchdown from the 20-yard sure. line where they weren't quite inside the 20 just yet. But five scoring opportunities, five touchdowns. The Packers were three for seven in the red zone. They left eight points on the board in the first half when two red zone possessions stalled out and you had to kick field goals. And then, as we mentioned, the two goal-to-go situations in the fourth quarter. And, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he's obviously been through these situations before. He's not going to beat himself up over it, but I'm sure it was a tough night going home knowing, as he said in the postgame, with everything that had happened up to that point, and it shouldn't have come down necessarily to the play that it did, but with the uh, the crisscross by Darius Shepard and Valdez Scantling, and Rodgers knows that if he had just held the ball a second longer, Shepard's wide open in the corner because the Eagles completely converged their coverage yeah. on the slant with Valdez Scantling, and he tries for the slant, the ball gets deflected and it's intercepted, and and there you have it, and and you know one of those, it's like remember that game where he took the tablet and like threw yeah. it on the ground. I mean that's kind of I'm sure that's what he felt like after the game because. He knows that Shepard was open. The Eagles dropped him in coverage. It's not there, and uh, Packers are three and one at the quarter pole. But uh, um, you know, a strange game, really, for, based on the first three games of the season compared to this one. It was like everything flipped around. Yeah. The Packers' defense suddenly starts showing a lot more leaks and a lot more holes and problems. The Packers' offense gets a lot figured out. Aaron Rodgers throws for over 400 yards. Even with all the points they left out there, they still scored 27, which isn't bad against a contending team like the Eagles. But uh, one of those things, Thursday night football, I'm not really sure how much you make out of it uh, when it's a Thursday night in September, and uh, we're still really not into the meat of the season you, yet. Well, first and foremost, you take nothing out of it. I, I don't care if the Packers <laughs> win this game or they lose it. I, I've never drawn any conclusions from watching Thursday night football because yeah. it's just it's 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 unnatural. I've always said it's not true football is one of the things I wrote in inbox. You want to win the game, right. obviously. And it counts the same as all the rest. And we it counts the same as all the rest. Yep. But in terms of you know drawing any big conclusions from it, win, lose, or draw, I've never done that. 
Now, a couple things that you mentioned are interesting to this. Um, I mentioned this to Pete Doherty, my former colleague at the Press Gazette, when we were leaving. It is interesting how the NFL ultimately does pull everything back to equilibrium, though. And the Packers' defense was flying high through those first three games. You have a game like this where Wentz kind of slips through the grasp of Zadarius Smith. The Packers just weren't quite able to get home with them. They weren't able to force that takeaway that had been so, I don't want to say easy, but had been just seemed like they were coming so naturally for the defense yeah. for the first three games. They didn't get that extra, you know, sort of boost that it had been looking for when it gets into the red area where they defended two of those with, with interceptions in the end zone. Yeah, that shift of momentum that the defense had been providing in all of these games, whether it was by a takeaway, yeah. whether it was by a stop on a short field, those were the things that were not happening for the Packers on Thursday night. Exactly. And, and you know, I still give a lot of credit to the defense, though, man. The fact that they only gave up seven points or whatever it was in the second half, they held their ground in some really unique situations, uh, I should say, I think it was 14, seven points in the fourth quarter, be that as right, it may, right. uh, they, they were able to kind of pull together when they needed to to keep the Packers within one score. The biggest, I don't want to say tragedy, but you know, sort of travesty in this is it was a phenomenal performance from Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he was every bit the MVP quarterback that Packers fans have grown accustomed to seeing over the last decade in this game, and unfortunately it just wasn't able to be sort of stamped with that victory. I mean, you think about the touchdown pass to Jimmy Graham and the way he was evading some of the, uh, you know, the pass rush. Um, and, you know, much had been made about his scrambling ability. He ended up having, you know, a few big scrambles in this game for 45 yards. to And, and some of his throws over, on the run, those, yeah. those were the darts you know, on the move that uh, that we've grown accustomed to seeing from Rodgers over the years. I thought, I, I agreed with you, I, I thought the way he moved his feet, both when he scrambled and when he made plays out of the pocket, this was uh, this was a, a little bit of a turn back the clock to the to the Aaron Rodgers we've seen in other years, and hopefully that's a good sign for the Packers moving forward yeah, in 2019. He, he was exceptional. I mean, spreading the ball around, eight different receivers caught a pass. Devontae Adams had a major game, 10 catches for 180 yards, a career high. Unfortunately for him, ends up suffering that toe injury late in the ball game, so the Packers have to go on both of those deep red zone trips, uh, those goal-to-go situations without their two-time Pro Bowl receiver. Um, but just Rodgers being able to sort of keep the offense moving, and, and they knew at some point that if you play enough football games, there's going to be a day where the defense needs to you to pick them up, uh, even though they've been off to such a great start, and I thought Rodgers really did that to keep them in this one. Yeah, well, Devontae Adams, <clears throat> we had heard a lot during the week about the Packers wanting to get the ball to Adams more. Rodgers talked about it. Adams certainly talked about it as well. Ten catches for 180 yards. Unfortunately, he leaves midway through the fourth quarter with a toe injury, and he's not on the field for the four goal-to-go plays from the one-yard line and for the final drive when the Packers once again got down inside the five. Obviously, you lament that situation because if you have your best pass catcher, your best offensive weapon on the field there, you got to think you're at least getting that game tied on one of those possessions. But uh, um, but just the way the game went, hopefully this injury, this toe injury to Devontae Adams is not a serious thing. Hopefully it's something he can uh, um, he can play through and isn't going to miss any time. But we'll just have to find out next week where things stand with that. Yeah, he gets 10 days to get right here before this Dallas game. And he mentioned they're going to take a look at it today after the game. You know, he didn't have a he wasn't wearing a shoe on there. So I didn't even want to try it. Uh, you know, just just being safe and being smart, and, and certainly, you know, felt disappointed he wasn't able to be out there for them. Because even if it isn't him catching the touchdown pass, you talk about the Darius Shepard play. With all due respect to Darius Shepard, he's been a really nice player early on here. 
if that's Devontae Adams coming free, they're not going to let him go there. They're not going to send two guys at MVS. They're going to have, you know, somebody or a safety, somebody, you know, have with their attention on Adams. Right. Philadelphia, you know, to their defense's credit, I mean, they were working through a ton of injuries in the secondary. I mean, they were down to third, fourth, and fifth stringers by the end of that game. And yeah, they had practice squad guys on the field yeah. in goal to go there in the uh, in the fourth quarter, and uh, to their credit, they held up. Yeah, and the, the thing that was interesting about this in so many ways, it was the game I think you and I both expected. It was very difficult to run against that front, yep. but Aaron Rodgers in the passing game was able to get their momentum moving and, you know, able to you know extend the ball i think it ended up being 441 or 460 total yards no 490 total 491 yards. 491 total yards in this yeah, game just shy of 500 uh 442 or 422 yards passing excuse me for rogers he only had the one sack which i thought was uh, a real testament that offensive line with brian balaga going out before halftime alex light had to finish up there you know a lot of adversity for both sides and you know for the packers perspective um, just not quite enough to uh, you know put those final points on the board to extend this thing into overtime. Yeah, well, the Packers defense, we had talked about it the last couple weeks. Teams had been running the ball on the Packers, but the great equalizer had been the takeaways. And I think one of the things that we saw in this game, a couple of things that I'll, that I'll point out here, at least what's been going through my mind. <clears throat> one is that Carson Wentz, without question, the best quarterback the Packers have faced so far yeah. this year. And guess what? Elite quarterbacks don't give the ball away as much as lesser quarterbacks in this league do. So you lost that great equalizer with the takeaway like we talked about before. The other thing, obviously in any quarterback, whether you're Carson Wentz or anybody else, when you have a running game that's doing what the Philadelphia Eagles running game was doing, that's going to help a quarterback stay right. in complete command of what's going on in the field. But the other thing I'll say is defensively, this just felt like a game that it started out poorly, not necessarily the defense's fault, but then it snowballed. And what I mean by that is special teams gave up a long kickoff return. The Eagles take advantage of the short field to get a touchdown. Then you have a kickoff that goes out of bounds. They get the ball in the 40-yard line. They only have to go 60 yards for a touchdown. Then they get the strip sack of Rodgers back in the red zone, only 17 yards. They get a touchdown there. Three touchdowns are given up. The Eagles have 20 points on the board, yet those three touchdown drives barely covered 100 yards right. because of field position. But then, in, but then the snowball effect happens in the second half where then suddenly the Eagles are putting together the 75-yard touchdown drives. They do that twice in the second half. And, um, and then when the Packers' defense has that opportunity with the Eagles on the one-yard line after the failed fourth and goal, Yes, they got the stop, but the Eagles drove 50 yards and got out to midfield before that stop occurred, right. and that was another another big factor in this game. Even though the Eagles didn't get points on that drive, so it just felt like it felt like a snowball type of game for the defense. That you just wonder if the field position is not such a big factor in the first half. If ultimately at the end of the day that point total the Eagles end up with is a little bit different. Yeah, and uh, you know ultimately too, Mike. I mean, no one in the locker room is going to say this. Everybody's going to say that they were well prepared for this, and you know I think mentally in a lot of cases they were. But you also have to recognize the fact of how this defense is structured right now. The rotations, you know, they haven't gone incredibly deep yet. You know, they've been asking a lot of True. these guys to play. You know, a significant amount of snaps. Even in this game, I think there was what eight guys with over fifty of the sixty-two defensive snaps. 
when you have that and you're on short rest, it's difficult to keep gas in the tank. Um, and I don't want to try to make, I'm not trying to make excuses, but I just think that this was not, for this particular defense and the way the Packers are playing it right now, it was not advantageous to go up against an opponent like Carson Wentz in that running game after what they saw on Sunday from the Broncos. Be that as it may, uh, yeah, I mean, there were opportunities there, you know, four big plays, and they just weren't able, quite able to get it. Some of that is due to Carson Wentz being 6'5 and 230 pounds or 240 pounds, whatever he is. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, some of it, you know, is, is some, you know, opportunities downfield, too, that they just weren't able to capitalize on. The, the, the biggest issue um, at the end of the day is just, is, you know, if you're not able to stop the run consistently on those first two downs, the third downs become more of a situation, more of a problem. There was only two technical explosive plays for Philadelphia in this game of more than 20 yards, but they were just able to gash them in the teens, and you know they did what they needed to do to capitalize on the opportunities that they had. Yeah, well, those a lot of third down situations, a lot of third and shorts for the Eagles because of the way they were running the ball. Carson Wentz converted a couple of third and ones with just simple quarterback sneaks, and yeah. and uh, you know they were able to keep the ball. In those situations. And that's a heck of a quarterback sneak. I mean, I, I challenge any defensive front in the NFL with the with how long he is and how big he is. I thought the Packers did about just about anything they could, including almost forcing a fumble with Jair Alexander yeah. running to the end zone. But it's just, I mean, with the way that that offense is structured, and again, it's a credit to Doug Peterson to having those guys ready. They know how to win when Carson Wentz is their quarterback, and when he's healthy, that's a real dangerous combination. Yeah. Well, on the offensive side of the ball for the Packers, as frustrating as those last two fourth-quarter drives were and everything like that, and again, it is Thursday night football. The Eagles were dealing with plenty of stuff on defense. But at least the Packers got Aaron Rodgers into a rhythm. He yeah. was looking comfortable out there, doing his thing, looking like the old Aaron Rodgers. And at least if there's something you're going to take away – from this game that you can really hone in on it's that the Packers know the red zone and the goal to go stuff is is really what you have to work on now yeah. I mean they, they've, they've at least they've at least gotten to where in a game like this against a pretty darn good team they were able to move the ball up and down the field without a problem now it's just a matter of how many points are you going to get out of those opportunities because that's where they fell short on Thursday one thing I want to throw back on you uh, very quickly here not to throw you on the spot but that's there okay. was something that a lot of people made you know a lot of noise about on Twitter after the game and it was the fact, as you mentioned, the double conversion onto MVS and, you know, maybe the contact early or not. This, the, the reason I want to bring this up quickly yeah. is because I think, I, I've been, I was thinking about this all night long. There is an invasive species aspect to this change that they've made with defensive pass interference. No and question about pass it. Interference. And I don't feel like the NFL at this point in time is capable of handling it. I know that sounds kind of weird, but. I agree with I, you. I agree with you 100%. There, you know, and, and, it was interesting, Matt LaFleur even said, because he was asked about, did you consider taking one of the timeouts to give him a little bit more time? He mentioned all that. I mean, they had their ma their mind made up. There seems to me that they, okay, they opened up this can of worms because of the Saints play, and, you know, they want to be able to eliminate that stuff, but it's almost like anything else they don't want to hear about it. We saw it with mm -hmm. the MVS. Well, and, know, the, and, and, and the point I'll make, Wes, not to interrupt you, no. but this is what I said in Insider Inbox uh, for the column this morning that went up on the website. The language of the pass interference replay review, clear and obvious is the standard. Yeah. Okay. Now, to me, the pass play down the sideline to MVS that Matt LaFleur challenged, that looked like pretty clear and obvious pass interference, but they don't call it. The one that the Eagles challenged looks pretty clear and obvious that Kevin King's hand 
knocks Alshon Jeffrey's arm out of the way before the ball gets there, and he can't catch the ball because he gets an arm taken away. That looks pretty clear and obvious. They don't call that one. The It looks like Valdez Scantling basically gets bear-hugged as he's running the slant, and he, has nothing, he can't move his arm, so the ball bounces off of the pile of yeah. people and goes up in the air. So to me, what I, what I feel, and this is what I said in the column, it was. It's as though the standard being applied is a word more like flagrant or blatant. Yeah. And clear and obvious. It was not what was being applied. Right. When looking at the, in my opinion, that's not what was being applied in looking at the replays. So if you're not, if clear and obvious is not what's being applied, then you need to change the language of the rule because those plays when. When we have the technology as we do today to slow things down frame by frame, mm-hmm. whether you're talking bang-bang plays at first base in baseball, which get overturned all the time now because they're missed, and when you can look at it frame by frame, it is obvious you stop it at a certain sure. frame whether that guy is out or safe. You can do the same thing now with pass interference. If you want to look at it frame by frame and freeze it, you can tell if that contact is clear and obviously, clearly and obviously preventing the player from catching the ball. Right. And, but it doesn't seem like that's the standard that's being applied. So I agree with your original point. The NFL has, has opened this can of worms. They've come up with this language or this rule, but they don't, they don't seem to be capable of handling it and applying it in a way that the rest of us can understand. Yeah, and it just I think my biggest issue, I know there's some people make comments about this too, if you actually just follow, and I'm not just talking about the Packers, you follow really the NFL and how they've been officiating these things and how they're reviewing these, everything seems like it's a case-by-case basis. There yep. isn't uh, a standard for what they're looking for. It's like, okay, what do you look at on this play? And to their defense, I mean, there is some subjectiveness to this. No pass, no play is going to look just like another play, but there also doesn't seem to be any consistency either. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, Mike, I feel like even though they made these changes to try to make things more clear and obvious, <laughs> I think the only thing, and, and this, is a, this is a judgment, by the way, that's coming from the New York office, it seems to me like the real call now is it's just it's lent more credence and weight to what the original call was on the field so it's it's almost like okay the referees technically don't have a say in it anymore in terms of what the the final decision will be but boy that initial you know call on the field is going to be what you know new york isn't going to do much to overturn that yeah i mean and that's that's what i've been saying for years is that the more technical you want to get with replay and replay reviews i don't quite understand frankly why you're going to give the call in the field that much weight because those calls on the those calls on the field the what the re, what the officials are seeing are not that's not being helped by technology right. you've got the better technology now to officiate it properly but yet you're still giving all of the weight to a call on the it it it, it strikes me as a flawed system and when you look at this pass interference stuff we saw in the Minnesota game in week two, the Packers benefited. A touchdown by the Vikings is wiped yeah. out when they review it and they see offensive pass interference. The game last night, there is an offensive pass interference called when the Eagles score a touchdown, right. and then the review takes it away. 
And then on the play where Jordan Howard is all alone running down the sideline for a 20-yard reception, Blake Martinez got picked off right in the middle of the field. He couldn't get over there to handle his assignment. He's looking around like, where's the pass interference call? Well, it's a scoring play, so it was automatically reviewed. They obviously weren't interested in calling offensive pass interference there to wipe out that touchdown. So here we are. You look at the overturn that was made in week two and the calls and the non-calls that are made in week four, it's still in September and, and there's no, there's no rhyme or reason, as you say, to what's going on. And it is every single play is like a case by case basis. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. And when, you know, cause people say now, you know, you see people on Twitter, like, Oh, this is going to get overturned. I never say that about any play no. anymore. Because no. I just don't know. Whether I'm, it's I'm catch, doing that in the in in the live blog during the game. I, I'll I'll just say I don't know how this one's gonna go, yeah. folks. You know, I mean, I I, I really don't. We got to go, but I want to mention too, uh, Jamal Williams. I know, obviously, a yes. scary situation with him. Um, it appears, by all accounts, he's gonna be okay. I know he was held overnight for some observation. I uh, had some tweets that he put out there saying that you know he's in good spirits. He's I think one of them. He said like the only thing that's hurting is like his his I, not ego, but like his. Like it's like there's nothing to be ashamed about on that play. I mean, yeah, he's he, it's it's al- it's almost as though his pride has been his damaged. pride. It was has, his pride. He yes, said his and pride he has hurt. no. It's like how he has he has no reason he has no reason to feel that way whatsoever. Not with what happened to him on that play. And there's an argument that Derek Barnett, who ended up getting the strip sack, which was a huge play in the game, there's an argument that he shouldn't have been on the field. <laughs> there's some reports out. I don't know if this is true. I mean, there's some real credible you know, journalists that are putting this out there that the league office had sent out a memo saying that he wasn't ejected because he turned his shoulder. I mean, he didn't he – like, like he tried to turn his shoulder last minute. His helmet collided oh. with Jamal Williams while, by the way, <laughs> Williams' helmet was being held. Yeah. I mean <laughs> – <laughs> Yeah, it's – yeah. Whatever, but hopefully you know everything's good with Jamal Williams. I mean, you talk about yeah. I just hope I just hope he's all right. And and uh, Maddox, the DB for Philadelphia as well, even though it was his own teammate that took him out in that situation. Certainly, you hate to. I mean, two two guys being taken off on stretchers. I mean, that's too too many. And to see it both in the same night, that it it certainly gives you pause. No, it definitely does. And I mean, for Jamal Williams, you know, I mean, again, the point I was going to make. I mean, he's just a fun loving, carefree kind of guy. Yeah, absolutely. And, And to his credit, I mean, I think the first thing he put on Instagram was actually well wishes to Maddox. Before he ever provided yeah. any, ins, you know, any update on himself, I mean, hoping that he was going to be okay. A terrible situation from that perspective, but you hope both of those guys, you know, this this won't be a lingering issue for them going forward. Yeah. One thing I want to run past you before we go, because yeah, I, know, I know Marvin, our producer, says we got to get going. But <laughs> week four in the NFL on Sunday, you got Bears Vikings, you got Lions Chiefs, you got Cowboys Saints on Sunday Night Football. Uh, which uh, which game you got your eye on the sharpest? Cowboys and Saints is the one I okay. have my eye on because you know how difficult it is going into the Superdome. Yeah. Uh, but more importantly, there is some strength of schedule questions with what Dallas has faced so far. There's going to be none of that with this game against New Orleans. I know they're not playing without Teddy. Uh, Teddy, they are playing with Teddy Bridgewater. They're playing without Drew Brees Correct. right now. But Bridgewater really looks solid in that game. And playing with his own crown behind him, I think that's going to be a really difficult matchup for Dallas. And let's be honest too. I mean, Detroit. You give them credit where credits due. They're two zero and one at this point, but a very difficult task with Patrick Mahomes and, and they get they, City. they get the Chiefs at home. And the way things are right now, I mean, if the Lions can pull off that game 
at Ford Field, they'd be 3-0-1, and they would be in first place yeah. at the quarter pole. The Packers at 3-1 and will be tied with whoever wins between the Vikings and the Saints. Technically, the Packers would obviously have the tiebreaker at this point because they haven't played two games against those division rivals yet. The rematches are yet to come, but uh, but should be an interesting Sunday of football. In the oh, NFL. it's going to be great. Yeah. And then you have the Patriots and the Bills both 3-0 and in their division. I mean, just it's going to be a lot of fun contests across the board. But, yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's some gut checks here coming up. I mean, Cleveland going into Baltimore right now at 1-2. <laughs> um, definitely a, a tough week for some of these teams. Yeah, all right. With that, we will call it a wrap. On this edition of Packers Unscripted, be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. Subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services. You can find him on Twitter, at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.